0: To Leonard Lopate at large, I'm Leonard Lopate. In 1960, Mickey Mantle signed a one-year contract worth $65,000, which meant the Yankees were giving him a $7,000 pay cut, although he'd had what most players would have considered a very good season. He'd finished ninth among American League batters with 154 hits, second with 104 runs scored, fourth in home runs, and second in stolen bases with 21. And the future Hall of Famer had also appeared in his eighth straight All-Star game. But because his numbers were down, he batted 285 with 31 home runs and 75 RBIs for the Yankees in 1959. Uh, in contrast to his 1958 season when he batted three oh four with a league-best 42 home runs and <laughs> 97 runs batted in. Of course, there was no free agency in 1960, so Mantle had no place to go other than back to the Bronx. It all changed when Marvin Miller was elected to be the first executive director of the Players Association in 1966. He served until 1982. Joining us now to talk about Marvin Miller and his legacy is my WBA. AI colleague, David Rothenberg. Hi, David. Good to see you. Hi, Leonard.
1: I don't, good afternoon. It is afternoon, yes. It so is afternoon.
0: Yeah, uh, I've known you for many years, and we've talked about, uh, on the air, about your background in theater and your prisoners' rights activism, but any connection with Marvin Miller comes as a complete surprise.
1: Well, I was, I was so pleased when he got into the Hall of Fame, and I contacted a lot of people and said, I want to talk about Marvin, who was my cousin and who I loved very much and was... Always angry at the uh, Hall of Fame because he didn't get in, but you know the important thing for BAI listeners specifically to know is what Marvin was was a was a, a union organizer. He came from uh, the Steel Union. He worked with Arthur, Arthur Goldberg back in the uh, before he became Major League Baseball.
0: He he walked picket lines when he was a kid yes. because his father uh, was uh, in. Uh, was in the Garment Workers Union or pre Garment Workers Union?
1: And his mother, my aunt, yeah. uh, Aunt Gert, who was, she was fire and brimstone. She was a terrific lady. We lived in New Jersey, and whenever Aunt uh, Gertie was coming, that was a major event. And then Marvin, who was about a decade older than me, so we didn't get, really get close until we were both, adu- until I was an adult. Well, she taught elementary school, it was yeah. a member of
0: the New York City teachers. Well, that's
1: in, right, she was a teacher. I forgot that. Thank you for your notes.
0: And then he got a, a degree in economics in at NYU, uh, wound up working for the National War Labor Board in World War II, later worked for the International Association of Machinists and the United Auto Workers, uh, joined the, the staff of uh, the United uh, Steelworkers Workers in 1950, and became principal economic advisor and assistant to its president, and negotiated contracts.
1: The president was Arthur Goldberg, uh-huh. who later became the Supreme Court Justice.
0: And then that, uh, so and he, he worked for years as an economist and negotiator before he wound up with in Major League Baseball, but, but, you, but I was
1: very fortunate, and in, in, in the last twenty twenty five years of his life, when I got very when Fortune Society began, and he was very supportive of that, and we would have lots of dinners, he and his wife Terry, who was also an activist, and he would regale me with wonderful stories about unions and about union organizing, and for the Major League Baseball players, and he said that he, the. He remembers being on an elevator in San Francisco at a union conference and somebody got on the elevator and said you would be a wonderful person to be uh representing major league baseball players and he uh, a meeting was set up with him and I think I know Robin Roberts was the National League uh rep. he was a pitcher Great for the pitcher for the Phillies who years later I when Marvin's book came out, we were at a there was a book party. I'm talking to this big old gray-haired mm-hmm. man, having a wonderful chat. And I said, "Why are you here?" And he said, "Well, I know Marvin from back then." And I said, "What's your name?" And he said, "Robin Roberts." And I <laughs> oh, said, oh me without my autograph book. And I think Al K- Kaline may, mm-hmm. may have been the uh, may have been the uh, American League rep. But the story that Marvin loved to tell was that. Uh, after meeting with him over and over again and they decided they wanted him to be the uh, – play. it was called the player's – they didn't call it a union. It was the player's rep or whatever it was. Uh, and they only had money for two people on salary, the uh, organizer who would be Marvin and an attorney. And they said that they wanted to hire him. They wanted him to be the player's rep and that they decided that they want the attorney to be Richard Nixon who had <laughs> just lost his race for governorship in california. california and he said why in god's name would you want richard nixon and they said well you're progressive and liberal and we thought we needed a balance by have, having someone conservative and he said the conservative balance are the owners who you'll be negotiating with you need somebody you need a team of people in your corner And they said, well, Nixon would bring a lot to it. And he said, well, then you're going to have to make a choice. If you want Richard Nixon, I could not possibly take the job. And a couple of days later, they came back and said, yeah, we we want you. And they understood the fact that having a conservative Republican like Richard Nixon – Gee, you just I just thought of it. If he got that job, maybe he wouldn't, he wouldn't have, run, have been. President. He wouldn't <laughs> have run for president. We would have been saved, <laughs> oh, Marvin. Marvin, saved. I'll never Marvin, forget you. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Isn't that a great story? Yes. But you know, when you were telling the the thing about Mickey Mantle, uh, Marvin, I have a friend, a, a, a very young kid, not, um, young to me. He's in his twenties, and he works in Major League Baseball. And of course, they're all pro owner and everything. And I told them that Marvin was my cousin, and I brought Victor, this youngster, up to, uh, we had lunch with Marvin two or three times, and he would loved telling stories to to me and to the young men. But the one he enjoyed most, which is even better than the Mickey Mantle story, is that Joe Cronin was a shortstop for the Washington senators, you know the old story, Mm -hmm. Washington was first in war, first in peace, Mm -hmm. and last in the American League, that was the old line. They well, ended up
0: moving to Minnesota, I think. Yes,
1: yeah. but Clark Griffith, one of those uh, stingy old uh, Ebenezer Scrooge racist, and those were his good qualities, was uh, uh, in negotiations with shortstop Joe Cronin, who had was a star and hit three oh eight, and the next year it hit three oh seven, and he traded him. But the interesting thing about him trading Joe Cronin was that he was his son-in-law. <laughs> he traded his son-in-law to save $100. It was so funny.
0: Meanwhile, its it was called the Major League Baseball Players Association. Association,
1: yeah, they didn't call themselves yeah. a union.
0: So, so Marvin died in 2012, but he wasn't elected to the Baseball Hall of Fame until earlier this month. Uh, He'd been rejected six times by various compositions of the veterans' committees. And 2008, didn't he make a formal request to the Baseball Writers' Association of America, whose uh, historical oversight committee uh, composes the ballot,
1: to stop even putting him on the ballot? Yeah, and and at dinner one night he said, I just don't want to go through it anymore. It's too humiliating. And I know a couple of the players, particularly... um, Former players uh, Jim Bouton and Ron Darling were very strong about getting him on, and I think I gather they continued. Do you want another story of why he didn't, why they were resistant, why he didn't get on the? Uh, well, Hall well of that's fame?
0: why you're here to tell
1: <laughs> us. It's another story that he cherished telling. Uh, among the, he, he 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 and Terry, his wife Terry, uh, got socially friendly with a lot of the players. as what happened, and the couple that they were. Most fond of was Roberto Clemente and his wife, who was a great outfielder for the uh, Pirates. Pirates, and one of the first hundred thousand dollar a year players. He and I think he and Willie Mays were among the early big salaries. And hundred thousand back uh, in those days was big, big money. It's still big money.
0: Babe Ruth, uh, after hitting sixty home runs, earned fifty-two thousand dollars. Of course, that would have been seven hundred seventy-five yeah, thousand dollars today, today, but still.
1: So one one night, Clementi, uh, Roberto Clemente was having a, a dinner with uh, Marvin and Terry, and said that he was offered this hundred thousand dollars. He said, "I don't need that much to live on. I have. I think I want to have a deferred payment on uh, in case anything happened to me." Which was rather uh, prescient. What's the word? Prescient. Yes. Pre- because uh, Clemente did die in a plane crash two years later go- when he was he was taking. Uh, Nicaragua had had, had a uh, uh, hurricane and had been devastated and he was part of a chartered plane bringing things to it and he was killed in it but at the dinner he said to Marvin um, I think I'm going to have deferred payments because we can live on 50000 that's big money and Marvin said that's a great idea uh, make sure that you get the interest and Roberto said what do you mean? He said well if the pirates are holding $50,000 every year it's a getting interest in the um in the bank and and Roberto said, Jesus, I never thought of that. Marvin said, Well that's my job is to think of these things for you. And then about three days later he got a phone call from Joey Brown Junior, the son of the mm-hmm. movie comedian who was the general manager of the Pittsburgh Pirates and started screaming at Marvin. Who are you to interfere with our plans Ba blah ba Oh this was pennies for the Pirates, screaming at him. And Marvin Just said, this is what I do. This is to get the best for the players. Calendar pages flip by, and Marvin's retired, and the chairman of the committee for the non-players in the Baseball Hall of Fame is Joey Brown, Jr. Mm. And he immediately marshaled up support of the, representing the team owners and saying he was not good for baseball. And actually, Marvin was one of the best things that happened in baseball. Uh,
0: Brett Barber said in 1992, Marvin Miller, along with Babe Ruth and Jackie Robinson, is one of the two or three most important men in baseball history. And even a, a former Major League Baseball commissioner, Faye Vincent, said... Uh, when he learned that uh, Marvin Miller had died in 2012. I think he's the most important baseball figure of the last 50 years. He changed not just the sport and the business of the sport permanently, and he truly emancipated the baseball player and, in the process, all professional
1: athletes. Well, exactly Prior to his time,
0: they had few rights. At the moment, they controlled the games.
1: They were owned, the players were owned by the owners they 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 were it was like plantation mentality mm. and they were uh,
0: told that the game was what was big they right. were just
1: cogs the, well and, they were cogs but the owners made the money mm. but the I, well a couple of things one is you mentioned that what red barber said when the ap had their uh, at 20 at the year 2000 the poll who were the most important people in the history of baseball babe ruth was first jackie robinson second and marvin was third wow. And what he, what Marvin used to say, as a union organizer, was when he, when, uh, when, when he started, there were I think sixteen teams, eight in the National, eight in the American League. When he left, there were twenty four teams. He said so there were that many more players getting, earning a living, a good living and people in the front office and managers and coaches and parking lot attendants mm-hmm. and hot dog vendors and bars and restaurants and hotels in the area and and television executives and television announcers added eight more cities and much more productive and that the game became much more sophisticated. And he said the big barrier was. And there was
0: a lot more money from the fans because they were attending games and, and watching the television, television, television and, and the commercials and all of that.
1: And he, and, but we talked about the negotiations when, when young Victor from the Major League Baseball, when we were with him, we said, where was, why were the owners resistant? And he said, well, you know, one of the interesting things is that an owner like George Steinbrenner, who was, Criticised a great deal, he said that he was the easier one to negotiate with because he was smart and he knew when to when what was reasonable. He said the dumb ones, like Tom Yorkie and uh, that woman shot in Cincinnati people that were inherited March, uh, they they inherited uh, from fathers and never had to work they, he said they were so uh, um, Tied to the to the past that they didn't know how to negotiate, and that was that was much more difficult.
0: But also, he was opposed uh, by uh, two former commissioners, Bowie Kuhn and, and Bud Selig. And Bowie Kuhn wrote in his memoir, "I began to realize we had before us an old-fashioned nineteenth-century trade union unionist who hated management generally and the management of baseball specifically." So. They really applied a lot of pressure. Even this year, four members of the veterans' committee
1: voted against. Who, do we Marvin. know who they were?
0: No. Well, Let's I find we out. probably could find
1: out. Yeah. Uh, isn't it funny what Bowie? What Bowie Kuhn said about Marvin was in 19th century. He was the one that was behaving like a 19th century plantation owner or somebody that was. In a um, Upton Sinclair novel about owners that don't know the needs <laughs> of the workers, you know, when Hank Aaron got into the Hall of Fame, and they all make speeches, he said, "I want to thank God, my mother, and my father." And he said, "And Marvin Miller <laughs> he said because because of Marvin, I didn't have to work in the off season to uh, to keep my family uh, fed. I had the opportunity to stay in shape as a major league baseball player." because of the of the gains through the Players' Association.
0: I remember uh, as a Brooklyn Dodgers fan when I was growing up, pretty much all the players
1: had jobs during the winter. Had to, mm-hmm. they and uh, they would be working in Brooklyn as, yeah. in stores, and the stores would advertise. And I'm speaking with David
0: Rothenberg. You probably recognize his voice, but we're talking about something, have you ever talked about baseball before
1: on the air? Oh, I must have, mm-hmm. I, I, well, I'm a, yeah, I, yeah I'm a, okay. <laughs> yeah, well, anyway, um, David interviewed Marvin Miller on his show. Well, ah. well I downloaded that. That's a yes, great interview. Wait a second, it never played. Yes, I, it did. I downloaded it from the archives. You, well, you may have downloaded, but it was lost, and I've been looking for it. If I never heard it on BAI, I had one of the last interviews with Marvin. Uh, I went to his house and taped it. He was in failing health, and we talked about the union aspects of it. This is seven, eight years ago. Well, what uh, uh, what year did he die? 2012. So it was probably 2011. And if you downloaded it, then maybe it can be found somewhere because I've asked for it. I'll get you a copy. I don't think it ever played on air. Because I said it would have been a wonderful premium during BAI fundraisers because not only did he talk about baseball and, and the stories of players, which are fascinating, but also about uh, – it was almost classic union organizing, which he did, which could be a model of it. And and part of the reason he was so successful is because he was smart and he was decent.
0: And uh, we're talking about Marvin Miller with David Rothenberg on Leonard Lopiet at Large today. This is WBAI New York. 99.5 FM but was he bitter uh, although uh, he, 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 he said to his children uh, if by some strange combination of events the Hall of Fame should come calling I don't want you to have anything to do with it uh, so. I
1: don't think he was bitter, Lenny. I think he was resigned to it. He wasn't a bitter man. He didn't. He wasn't the kind of person that would waste time with bitterness. I think he was resigned to the fact that they had made this and it was embarrassing to keep going after. But I, Peter lives – his son Peter lives in Japan, in Tokyo. And uh, I want to contact him and find out if he's planning to come because we may uh, – maybe the family – There's all, all that's left are Peter and Susan – and his grandchildren, Peter's children, who live in Tokyo, and myself. His sister Thelma is aged, living in Florida, so I don't know if she'd come up, but I would, I have ignored the Hall of Fame ever since Marvin mm-hmm. has been denied, would not acknowledge its, its validity, but I would go to Cooperstown if there's a ceremony and if peter comes in from tokyo i would go with him
0: now during his tenure as executive director of the major league baseball players association the average player's annual salary rose from nineteen thousand dollars in 1966 to three hundred twenty six thousand dollars in 1982 you can only imagine what somebody like mickey mantle would be paid these days Uh, i mentioned he he was a star so he got seventy two thousand dollars in 1959, um, uh, so uh, and then the next year, he and Roger Maris led the Yankees uh, to the
1: World Series, and, and both and hit 61 homers each. One of the reasons I wanted to, uh, to want to keep talking about Marvin is that I hope it's important. I think it's important for younger players to know the history of how this came about uh, because if you take it for granted it can be t- and don't know how it was done it can be taken away as quickly as it you know, the uh, the uh, organizing aspects of it to know that there is a a, a certain amount of effectiveness about having a players' association or a union looking out for your best interests. There were no pensions. that uh, Players didn't have pensions that made any difference in their lives uh, back then. Now a player can retire and have a decent pension. And those are things that, are, that a good union organizer will, will afford. And
0: uh, if anything, baseball has thrived as a result of the things well, that Marvin what, Miller did.
1: When When you look back at what a team could sell for back in the 60s, and what now you have to be uh, one of the richest people in the world to buy a franchise because they are they're such big money makers in fact the yankees i don't know if the mets do the yankees have their own television station now so they the,
0: the mets do <laughs> the mets do. i think it's sny
1: sny but I, is, I don't know if that's owned by the mets but i know in the, in the case of teams owning the station they're they're making money from the advertising revenue I mean, it's, Marvin said that if, uh, one of the last things, I, I, he may have said it on the program that I, uh, when I interviewed him, that if the Yankees didn't have a single person enter the ballpark for one game all season, they would be in the black because of the revenue from, not only from television, but from the dolls and the pennants and the t-shirts and all the uh, tchotchkes that they sell. And then the the higher-priced players bring out the fans. The Yankees
0: just signed a... Maybe Picture. the best pitcher in baseball uh, for a lot of money, and you can be sure that every game he pitches in Yankee Stadium, they also make money when uh, as a visiting team. Uh, uh, that all, all that that's just going to add to well, their he, revenue.
1: When when people ask about the high salaries, he used to say, "If they didn't have it, they couldn't pay huh. for it." <laughs> the thing about Marvin, though, that that I want to emphasize, Lenny, is that beyond all of this that he accomplished what a nice human being that he was and one of the things I don't know that people people may not know people sport fans that he was physically disabled he was born with one his one arm not functioning he had a withered left arm which was not much of a discussion because he was a fine tennis player and he did everything uh, he, he took control of his life but he was limited that's why he, during the war he worked for um I, I, you recited it. I know. I knew that he was working there because he Gert, worked for
0: the uh, the National War Labor Board. Right. World War Two.
1: Because Ann Garrett always told us whatever he was doing. But it was the reason he wasn't in the services because he had one arm. But it was never an. It never seemed to be an issue. And he was a you know a good father and a and his wife Terry who was a professor at Brooklyn College. They were good people, and they were passionate about uh, baseball and about opportunities for people and when the fortune society began when i was began the organization he immediately was on our advisory council and always supportive of him when we had events he would lend his name to it so that it, 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 he was a he was uh, um he was um he was what uh, peter sellers wanted to be in that movie <laughs> No, jim Cat,
0: a uh, pretty good pitcher pitcher for the
1: twins right
0: He told the New York Times, quote, there was some anxiety at first because there was a stigma about unionizing athletes. Who did they think they were? And he went on to say what Marvin did gradually was show us our value and give us some more self-esteem. Um, when when the, when the players elected uh, Miller to lead the union in 1966, uh, they uh, it said that they would, had been trained to think of themselves as easily replaceable.
1: Well, you know what he did? After he got picked by um, the two player reps, that first spring training, he went to every spring training and introduced himself to the players and asked for a vote of approval. And I think all the team, I, I don't remember what team, it may have been the St. Louis Cardinals. And as he said, as he got to meet, Most of the guys, they were uh, high school graduates, if that, that they had gotten by on their athletic skills. They they weren't academics because they didn't have to be because they were good athletes. And so they didn't have a political sophistication, and they didn't see unions as anything that was relevant to their lives. But just by his sheer dint and his personality of – going to every spring training, introducing himself, talking to players about who they were, where they're from, and what they wanted. He was able to, on a very personal level, was able to get uh, these guys who were not political and not union-geared to understand that he was in their best self-interest.
0: A, a former union official said that the players had been told for a long time that the game was bigger than they were, um, and they were kind of irrelevant. They'd been beaten up by teams for a hundred years. You should be lucky you're playing this game and happy with what we're paying you. Uh, so the the, the the first thing Marvin had, had to do was to let them know how important
1: and unique they really were. And there were a lot of the owners from old school were old-fashioned racists, Connie Mack, Clark Griffith. Uh, I don't know about Tom Yorkie but well the Red Sox were the last team to hire an African American player. There was resistance and Branch Ricky Washington moved to Minneapolis because there were
0: fewer black people in in <laughs> the population. Yes.
1: Um, the the, the yeah. Yankees
0: were very late to hire black. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the, of course, the Dodgers were the first. The Dodgers
1: were the first, and the Giants hired Monty and we're Irvin. We're Brooklyn right now. <laughs> the Dodger, the Giants hired Monty Irvin and Hank Thompson, mm-hmm. and the Dodgers had Jackie. And then uh, Dan Bankhead was the first pitcher, and then Newcomb and Junior Gilliam was that. Uh, that was well, a, there were a whole bunch. A of whole that. bunch, but it was uh, that. At, and let me say this: that the uh, and. the, the this is not taking away from what we're talking about with Marvin, that the hiring of Jackie Robinson by the Brooklyn Dodgers really changed American culture in, in a very dramatic way. And I've always been of the opinion that that um, uh, Martin Luther King's crusade for voting was able to happen as a result of the, uh, the kind of th- – attitude that was created as a result of Jackie Robinson playing baseball because baseball was, quote, the American pastime. It was as American as you could get. And when it became integrated, first Jackie and then Larry Doby for the Indians in the American League, it set in motion the notion that we are not who we are, who we claim to be, until it's as inclusive as Major League Baseball is. And that that was – not specifically, but I think it created an atmosphere that allowed uh, f- for the rising civil rights movement shortly after. Well,
0: baseball had been segregated. There were the Negro Leagues, and everybody recognized that some of the players in the Negro Leagues, like Satchel Paige, for and example. And Josh Gibson, these yeah. were the
1: great players. Buck O'Neill, these were great athletes.
0: And then when uh, Major League Baseball finally was integrated, they raided the Negro Leagues. Yes.
1: League. The owners didn't. Did the the Negro Baseball League went out of business. One of the
0: great uh, catchers, as a result, Josh of, Gibson was. No, I'm oh, talking Roy about Roy Campanella. Yes, Who He had, had been with the Black Yanks.
1: Was he? I only knew him as a Dodger, and, and what a sad ending! And they, he had a car accident and ended up in a mm-hmm. in the wheelchair. Did he not? Well, did, did the, he?
0: The, the, I think something like that. Well, yeah. remember that when you're in that kind of profession where you're traveling all the time. You are really taking more chances.
1: And and in those days, I was—you know—I was was a devoted baseball fan. And when uh, Marvin became the uh, players' representative, my whole my family uh, was so excited about it. But I was particularly because in my um, formative years, I was a sports writer. At, hmm. in high school and in college didn't i did uh, i was a stringer for the bergen record hmm. in hackensack new jersey and then became sports editor of my college paper and then editor and then in the army was a uh a sports editor in uh, fort benning georgia for a paper called the bayonet believe it or not and uh so i was sports geared and then to have marvin Representing players and and getting me tickets and going to games with them was very exciting. It was
0: very different. Uh, I once interviewed Don Zimmer, who talked about how most of the Dodgers for a time lived in Brooklyn, and they would uh, one of them would drive to Ebbets Field and pick up the other players on the way.
2: Yeah, and fans.
0: So that was uh, it. Was a whole different (laughs) sensibility. Uh, It was just a day job. Well, uh, We're talking about Sandy Koufax. It's a pretty well, you great know, player. I, go,
1: I don't know how far back you go, Lenny, but I remember when, I go the, back pretty far. W- when the Dodgers played out I of saw ta- Jackie
0: Robinson in his first year. I did, too. Uh, he was playing first oh, base like, for the Dodgers. B-
1: before that, do you remember when out-of-town games, and they counted Desmond and Red Barber did it by ticker tape
2: uh-huh, so that sure.
1: you could hear, click, click, click it, ball one, tick, tick, tick. Mm. I don't, and, and there was no excitement, no crowd yelling, and that was that was it.
0: Yep. Well, the, it was a different game uh, to some degree because we created these stars. Uh, it became more exciting for the and, fans.
1: And 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 not to be forgotten, there were Dodger players that wanted to be traded because of Jackie's presence on the team. Dixie Walker, mm-hmm. who was uh, one of Brooklyn's favorites, and Kirby Higby, who ended up being a prison guard in South Carolina, wanted to be traded because they did not want to... The question they asked is, who's going to take a shower with him? It mm-hmm. was actually asked. Can you imagine?
0: Jackie Robinson. Well... <laughs> It's just stunning. Uh, Marvin M- M- Miller also educated the players to trade union thinking. Uh, in 1968, uh, the, uh, the the collective bargaining agreement
1: was the first of its kind in any pro sport. And yeah. uh, and the. And the, and the um I forget, what is the phrase? It was, Kurt Flood made the challenge, lost the case. People think Kurt Flood won. He lost. Yeah, but he paved, lost in the Supreme Court. Yes, but he paved the way for everybody else, and that was the, that the players weren't owned. They could negotiate to play for another team.
0: Now, Kurt Flood, that there's a whole racial component yes, yeah, to cool. what to that story as well. Um, he'd had a great year. He asked for a raise. Uh, the they traded him to, to the Phillies, yeah. and he didn't want to play for the Phillies because uh, he felt that Philadelphia was... The fans were racist, and they gave a very great player on the Phillies, Dick Allen, a, a hard time, yeah, simply because he was black.
1: Well, one of the other things that uh, interesting was saying, well, why should a player, be, you know, be able to go to another team? And Marvin's answer was very clear. He said, if you're working in... At Sachs, and you're making uh, two hundred dollars a week, and and Macy's offers you two fifty. why couldn't you take it? Well, of course. Well, if if Johnny Jones is playing shortstop for the Pirates and making eight thousand a year, and the Yankees offer him fifteen thousand, why not? And that it, it it's so clear and so obvious. But the owners are so convinced the fans, that, uh, that they, the national pastime would be ruined if players had a negotiate, uh, the power to negotiate for better contracts. And many of them stayed at their teams because they were in that bargaining position where the owner would suddenly realize, well, we need to pay him more because he brings in the fans.
0: You're listening to Leonard Lopate at Large on WBAI New York 99.5 FM
3: to the ball game, sung by Edward Meeker, Edison Record. (laughs) Katie, Katie was baseball mad, had the fever and had it bad, just to root for the hometown crew through every zoo, Katie Blue. On a Saturday well, to see if she'd like to go to see a show but Miss Kate said no I'll tell you what you can do take me out to the ball game take me out with the crowd buy me some peanuts and Cracker Jack I don't care if I never get back let me root 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 for the home team if they don't win it's a shame well it's one two,
2: We're back with David
0: Rothenberg, and we're talking about
1: who was that singing? Who was that?
0: I don't know. Where'd you find that? uh, Where we find everything on YouTube, of course. Uh, I, I wish I had written it down, but uh, it, it just seemed absolutely appropriate. B-
1: before you make a pitch for people to support the station, it, it, when you play this, do you remember some of the things in at baseball at, back in the day uh, that if you had a home run in Brooklyn, uh, a thousand uh, old goals would go to the boys mm. overseas? <laughs> they were trying – and at uh, Chesterfield, I think, at the Polo Grounds, if you uh, hit a home run.
0: I don't remember that. I do remember that pretty much every baseball team had its own beer that it was plugging. Rheingold the was... The Dodgers had Rheingold. The Yankees uh, they, had
1: Pabst, I think.
0: No, the Yankees had their... They were owned by uh, a... Rupert, Rupert. Jacob Rupert. Yes. Yeah, so they had Knickerbocker. And I think the Giants had Peels. <laughs> <laughs> it was... I was a
1: Giant fan, which was kind of pitiful because, except that I can still, there are people like, if Ira Glass is listening, Ira used to be the head of the ACLU and I could, or NYCLU, and I would be having a discussion and I'd suddenly turn to him and say, What was that pitch that Ralph Branca offered to Bobby Thompson? And that, said, Why do you say that? Why do you do that? The day that the Giants beat the Dodgers in the playoff at the at polo grounds, and you know what's interesting about that? That was when Bobby Thompson hit what was yeah. called the shot hurt around the world. It wasn't a sellout that day. Can you imagine a game like that? A playoff between the Dodgers and the Giants was not sold now out. Now it would be. Except Ralph Branker used to say, and Thompson said, that they'd met 200,000 people who said that they were at that game.
0: Now we're talking about, uh, oh, oh the, uh, it was actually recorded in 1908, Edward Meeker, his version of well, take me to the Well, believe it or not, that's game. before my time. I my, finally my, met somebody before my, my uh, time. My executive producer, Jesse Lint uh, informs me. Where know, does he uh,
1: find this information? Uh, there's this thing called the
0: Internet. Uh, we'll talk about that later. But right <laughs> now, we're talking about the baseball players being underfinanced. And uh, for my a God. moment, I would like to mention the fact that uh, WBAI, despite being, uh, I think, uh, one of the great national treasures, is also... AI
1: now is like baseball was before Marvin got there. <laughs> uh-huh.
0: Well, so what do we do? We, can we union organize our listeners to support us?
1: Well, until the union gets here... <laughs> Maybe we – well, you have the pitch thing there. What do you want them – to be the buddy or, as I say, the I shvester. don't have any pitch thing here. No, I'm talking to with be another, a, another BAI person. To st- to have, we have the buddy system. Yeah. You're pointing two things to me, at me. One is the seven words that we can't use. And yeah, the other two is, posters up. Yes, yeah. and the other is the buddy system, which I say you can be a buddy or a svesta, <laughs> which is a, a sister that uh, supports the station. If you want to give $10 now and then every – or more, yeah. And Some it, people
0: can afford more than ten. And you a month. can
1: do it, and it will come out every month. And if ten people did that today,
0: we would make our goal for the for the year of two thousand and nineteen, and we'd never
1: have to make a pitch again. No,
0: <laughs> we'd have to start for twenty twenty. But uh, <laughs> we are, are that not all that far behind for twenty nineteen. And remember that that coup that kept us both off Ugh. the air for a while. That was all at least the, the, the rationale that the. Uh, the the rogue group gave was that BAI was was in debt and, and uh, they were going to take care of it by selling our license right
1: during a fundraising drive. And the other important thing this year, twenty twenty, is the year that you may not know this, but there's a presidential election in twenty twenty, mm-hmm. and the and I I am of the opinion that that coup that took place is the kind of thing that could happen and would happen if a man like who is currently president had. Got reinforced uh, with a re-election. That's what uh, dictators do, and I think it's very important for a voice for this, vo- the voice of this station, to be heard.
0: Yeah, but uh, you're applying twenty twenty hindsight right now. Uh, <laughs> our number, if you want to call in and become a BAI buddy, and we hope that you will consider it, is five one six six two zero three six zero two.
1: Say it again. I didn't hear that. It was five
0: one six. 620-3602, or you can go to our website, wbai.org, or to give to wbai.org and, and follow the instructions, and we hope that you will say that you're doing it in the name of Leonard Lopate at large and David Rothenberg. Who's uh, not at large. No, but He's, you've been here What's a the time.
1: opposite of being at large? It's uh, confined. David <laughs> yes. Rothenberg confined. Are you, are you feeling confined these no, days? No, no. But
0: okay. Anyway, we've we've uh, done our pitch for WBAI. We've done do- we the work because we both have major commitments to it. I don't know how many years you've been connected to the station. I came
1: into the era of the flood, <laughs> <laughs> not I, Sandy. The first. I started one. doing my first. I did my
0: first show in 1977.
1: Oh, you're a newcomer. Welcome. Yeah, I did my first. Uh, I was. A guest, I produced a musical called Viet Rock in 1966, and Arthur Seidelman invited me, and I went to 30 East 39th Street, and I fell in love with this little station. I said, who are these people? And, I, you know, I was working in the theater and was used to CBS and NBC and walking into this corporate whatchamacallit and then to come to this little cockamamie studio... Mm. And see the earnestness, and that was because they were early outspoken against the war in Vietnam. And I became a listener then and then a frequent guest and then started a program in 68 after the Fortune Society began Mm. uh, called Both Sides of the Bars and would have formerly incarcerated people and systems people on together.
0: I did a fill-in in that studio for a friend of mine, Charles Hobson. Uh, and to give you an idea of how long ago it was, the show was called Negro Music. Jesus. See, that wouldn't happen today. But my first uh, my first show on on BAI was Easter, nineteen seventy seven. I did a gospel show, and well, wound up staying for eight years. But that's a whole other thing. Let's get back to Marvin, Marvin Miller. Miller and the and and the next the really important thing that changed everything, and that is free agency. Yes. And now we think of free agency as something that happened right away, but it took a long time. You mentioned Kurt Flood. He set the whole thing into motion and uh, wound up taking it to the Supreme Court where he lost.
1: lost. And wow. I, I don't remember what happened. I, I, Marvin's told me the story. I was looking for his book. I lent it to someone and couldn't find it because I was trying to remember who were the first players that benefited from it. Do you know, I don't honey? Because he used to talk about it, but he, you know, he would. We would have dinner, and he'd regale me with these stories. Can you imagine telling his stories about uh, about all these players who were bigger than life that you you. Mm. as I told you at that book party when Robin Roberts was there and I and, and I went around the room and I saw old Gene Hermansky. you know, mm-hmm. Gene Hermansky, who used to... That's the a, first time that name has been said on the air in at G- least 50, 20 he years. He was a Brooklyn Dodger outfielder whose muscles were so big that he had to draw... Do you remember, Lenny, that he had to make a cut in his sleeves because mm. his muscles were so big? Well, then this little dumpling comes into them. Mm. And I said, who is that? They said, Gene Hermansky. And I said, oh, what, poor Gene, what hath happened to you? Should we
0: invite listeners to uh, to join in? If there is. Some, okay, if yeah, you if you, you know anything about this stuff, we invite you to call us at 212-209-2877. That's the call-in number, 212-209-2877. So let's talk about what happened with Kurt Flood. Um, in 1970, he... Uh, wound up being traded to the Phillies, and he didn't want to go. To go because went, of the racism and in Philly. He had been the a big star with the Cardinals, um, and then the case Flood versus Kuhn made its way to the Supreme Court in March 1972, and the court decided against Flood by a five to three to one vote, June 1972. Incredible, amazing.
1: Well, it'd probably be that way now too yes. with the current Supreme Court.
0: Yes, but uh, it's stunning because the case was so obvious.
1: Uh, Kurt's no no longer alive, is he? I don't think.
0: That I don't know. But then uh, the uh, free agency finally did come into effect, largely through the efforts of 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 Marvin. Marvin Miller. What did he do? I don't know. Well, one of the things he did was he led a lightning player strike on April Fool's Day in 1972, that last... I forgot
1: about the
2: player strikes, the yes.
0: 13 days. The players simply stayed away. Can you imagine in an earlier men- mentality them doing that kind of thing while he was negotiating
1: with the owners? And then... He had he had another strike in nineteen eighty one. But you see, uh, what I told you that he went to spring training and he did that almost every year, and he could sit and hang out with each team. And I think that the that he was able to have successful strikes because the players had trust in him because he was not an absentee union organizer. He constantly stayed in touch with the players. That was his commitment for for their best interest, and that and that's it. And that's more than baseball organizing. That's union work, that uh, you, you don't see often. You certainly don't see it with uh, the Correctional Officers Benevolent Association mm-hmm. in, here in New York City, uh, which seems. T- well, that's a, a. Well, I'm a big a, union. A comp- per- I'm a big union person. There are unions, and there are unions. I'm <laughs> a union person, but I have trouble with Coba, yeah. which is the correction officers, and I think boy Marvin could do well by them.
0: It, it, one of the uh, arguments against free agency was that uh, all the stars would leave, and yet uh, some of the, the there's a long list of of Hall of Famers who only stayed with one team, uh, including uh, uh, George Brett, uh, Barry Larkin, uh, Kirby Puckett, Carl Ripken, Mariano <laughs> Rivera. Uh, robin yount etc cetera, etc cetera. on the other hand the phillies had never won the world series before they signed pete rose away from the reds <laughs> who's pete rose who's he, not he's in, not in the hall
1: of fame no because of his gambling gambling
0: then uh the, the astros uh, uh didn't reach the playoffs until they got nolan ryan from the angels of course nolan ryan had become begun, begun with the mets and the Padres uh, hadn't made the playoffs until they signed uh, Steve Garvey. Um, so and it of, really – and and, and uh, we can't imagine the game without the, the, those players and the, the kinds of achievements and they And the had. kind
1: of money they made – you mentioned um, Nolan Ryan. He was the spokesperson for Advil for, for so long. So many of them became spokespersons for products because as a result of the acceleration of baseball as a – Successful business entity. The players got money, much more money, and many more opportunities to to um, be spokespersons for products.
0: And now, uh, c- pushing some prayer, he's did, pushing. <laughs> he's, he's pushing some diet plan. Yeah. Uh, and here's a guy who failed in both football and baseball. Well, but <laughs> he he succeeded in religion. So he <laughs> yes, was. and and in politics. Yes.
1: Is he is is he very conservative? I but assume I, politically. I think that was a trumpets.
0: Yeah. Well, I don't know. I don't know know how he voted. So uh, anybody calling? Calls. Okay. Our number again is uh, 212-209-2877.
2: WBAI, you're on the air. Hey, Lenny. Hi. Hi. Hey, David. Hi. Two of my most favorite people on BAI. Oh, thank you. Not much else. Not much else, but I'm hanging in there.
0: Well, that's another show. (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, uh, I'm almost 77, so I go kind of way back, kind of about where you are, Lenny.
0: I'm um, a couple and, uh, of years old. I, it, it shocked me when I realized that I was born two months after Don Imus. <laughs>
1: It shocks me every time I look in the mirror and say, <laughs> when did that happen? Uh, yeah. You yeah. yep. have a look in the mirror and say, who is that yep. guy? That's not yep. me. Oh, I know who it is. It's my who grandfather. All right, oh, 77-year-old, what's your name and where are you from?
2: That's Mom's face I see in the mirror every morning. I'm Alan. I'm from Little Neck, Queens, and I've lived in Queens since I was three months old. When Mom brought me as a refugee from Flatbush to, uh, <laughs> to, to Queensbridge, at four months old, because she didn't know how long the war would last. And the, I, the apartment rent in Queensbridge was five and a quarter a week. Can you imagine?
1: That's $5.25? And and yes,
2: yes, yes. Put the decimal after the first five. Wow. And she praised FDR and LaGuardia until the day she passed away at 96. Yep. So here's a little memory for you. I think, David, you may be mistaken, or Lenny, it was not Gene Hermansky with the cut-off sleeves. It was Ted Klazuski. Oh no, no I right.
1: know Ted did, but so did Gene. Gene's, Gene. Okay.
2: Okay. I. Stand I knew correct.
1: that. I knew that Ted Kluzowski had. Uh, he was the Cincinnati first baseman, and yes. he sliced his yes, was Very muscle-bound. But yes, but Gene Hermansky yes. was husky too.
2: Okay, I believe you. He's what they call today. A, uh, <laughs> now, on 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 the beer wars. When I was a kid in the 50s, the Yankees was sponsored by Valentine, Make the oh, three rings. Yeah. And Mel would light up a white owl until it was banned. And, Ballant- <laughs> and have a glass of Ballantine. At some point, the FCC, or my mother, or somebody prohibited live beer drinking. No, 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 no more glass of Ballantine. And the Dodgers' were sponsored by we having, having more, more than, than one. one? Now, right.
1: now <laughs> I'll give you a I'll give you a little bubba <laughs> mice about Rangel. The story was they used to have Miss R- the Debbie or uh, Mitzi who won. But the danger <laughs> was they were fearful because yes. of the changing demographics that Uh-oh. they would have a black or Hispanic. A, sp- a spokeswoman, yeah. and so right. they stopped the Miss Reingold contest yep. because of the fear of having a uh, was, a, a black woman. Yes.
2: There was a New Yorker piece a year or two ago about about the history of the Miss Reingold, and I, I be- mm-hmm. vaguely recall. Reingold was, no, Nick, Rupert Nick, have yeah. a Nick, the giant. So we had a three-beer three, three beer war in in New York City. An observation from, from a great distance, but Jeter, terrific, of course, undeniably brilliant ball pick. The contract because he deserved it. I deny nothing. But as an owner of the Marlins, he seems to have... You're right. There's a
1: little of that. Of,
2: yeah, kind of disappointing. Uh, what? Uh, labor... In, a labor yeah.
1: director. Right. But as
2: you were talking, you know what I can
1: remember? And this is depressing. The things you can't forget. I can remember the, ra- the, the dry old beer. beer. You can't <laughs> old yeah, old you radio advertising you stays with you. Yeah. L.S. Yes. M.F.T. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, Hold yes. Peels was the best carload. because
0: they had Burton Harry Peels. Yes, and we oh, know. How, but how many
1: how many old goals went to the boys overseas <laughs> with a grand slam home run?
2: I recall. Last thought, if you have another thirty seconds, because there's some tutoring of college kids now, and I was a grade school teacher for thirty years, so I had these these little stories about the Camel caravan of news, John mm-hmm. Cameron Swayze with mm-hmm. the dancing
1: a, cigarettes. Yeah.
2: Uh, Maybe I don't recall the dancing. I think were were old gold. Dennis James, Dennis James with the dancing. Philip, M- I don't remember.
1: I remember the Le- cigarettes with the legs coming out of the yes. back dancing. Yes,
2: yes, yes. Dennis James was a spokesman for one of those. Remember, he was a, he was a TV. He was a guy with radio pipes. Yes, he, with, uh, and
1: did a professional uh, wrestling uh, commentary.
2: Jackphone or <laughs> <a> walnut something. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, at the end of the Camel Caravan of News with John Cameron Swayze, which was nightly, 15 minutes on NBC, at approximately seven thirty, seven forty in those days, a uh, crazy thing. Uh, at the end, uh, as a tribute as a tribute to the boys in the hospital, Camel was going to send 50 billion cigarettes to the guys so they could smoke them in bed. While so they could through. smoke to death. Yes, Thank- while they were re- recovering from the Korean War wounds. Thank you so much for your call. So well. Goodness my mother mean. was in a cigarette
0: commercial my mother had a, a sign to do in fact shot a Benson and Hedges commercial uh, where she is standing in the hall peeking into somebody's room on the phone a longer uh, cigarette and they slammed the door on it uh, commercials were banned on television she was in one of the most famous commercials in the history of television uh, Mamma Mia That's a Spicy Meatball by uh, the Alca Salsa commercial after it ran from one month Joe Colombo, the mob boss, complained that it was uh, insulting to Italians, and they canceled the the, the commercials. The only time yeah. you ever saw it after that was when Johnny Carson and other people played it as one of the great commercials of all time.
1: My mother started smoking when she was pregnant with me because, see, I was trouble even while I was in the womb, <laughs> this and the doctor a lot. the doctor said. Why don't you light up a cigarette every now and then to relax juice,
0: right. have these doctors, recommend three me. out of
1: four doctors recommend <laughs> camels.
4: Yeah.
0: We, we have a little bit of time left, and we thought I thought Can we'd try to get me? another uh, caller in. Can you hear me? Yeah, hi, you're on the air.
4: Hi, hi. I've been on the air. Uh, the other caller uh, was on the air. I uh, love your show, Leonard. I, I really do. I am so glad you're uh, following Gary Knoll, who talks about health, and it's funny that you know the promotion of hot dogs, cigarettes, beer. It is very, these guys, immortalized, and then the steroid era. You know, the money that they were making, they wanted to turn a blind eye. It's like Madoff. Yeah, the Mets didn't know this was a money machine that was corrupt. I mean, it it is unfortunate. Uh, Ken Caminiti was a horrible example. I mean, he was really. But uh, the promotion of all this unhealthy stuff. And then the taxpayer is funding all of these stadiums for billionaire owners to pay millionaire salaries jacking up the prices is a lot of money there's a very dark side of you know you
1: sir you're right yeah, I remember when the Yankees wanted to build a new stadium and they were negotiating that they'd move out of town I said now where would the Yankees move to Tulsa mm-hmm. Albuquerque they're in this big market they weren't and and they were the looking for a tax break but they were making millions and millions why would they need a tax break because they could that's why because they get gave- and because they could get well that's you know it's an old...
4: Leonard, Leonard, that's what's great about your show, because you really bring a lot of the... There's so many industries in our country, in our world, that are so corrupt. <laughs> Capitalism and greed can do horrible things. People are suffering all around the wars that we make. You know, I mean, it, which was great with uh, Ted Williams. I mean, could you imagine a going to Iraq and Afghanistan on my toothbrush? Mm. A- and, and the absurdity of the lies that went with Alex. And now he's a darling child. He's on broadcast. I mean, what Pete Rose did was bad, but look, there's a lot of other things that you could say, you know, are really dark. Uh, the, the Alex Rodriguez thing was, was, he was a bold-faced liar on TV saying this is, oh, this is a, like Trump. You know, I'm a victim, this is a conspiracy. When you really see the dark side of these people, and, and we're not honest with, with how we look at everything, you know, at, at baseball in general is huge amounts of money,
1: but uh, what do we? You uh, know,
4: of resources. Why do we need this? Because we need to be entertained. on, I, but, I,
1: but I do find Lenny, I do find baseball. What tonight? I'll watch basketball or, or football. No, Did Stern truly, just died. I find it truly relaxing to okay. to the
0: the game itself. David Stern just died, and he's getting... Partly because, I think, of Marvin Miller's legacy. Yes. Uh, I thank other people who said things about Marvin. Uh, when Hank uh, Aaron... uh Hank Aaron said, have to break down the doors to get him in. Tom Seaver said, Marvin's exclusion from the Hall of Fame is a national disgrace. Joe Morgan said, they should vote him in and then apologize for
1: making him yeah, wait Joe so Morgan, long. Yeah, Joe Morgan, when he was on ESPN, would always talk about Marvin. I, I loved that. And Bob Costas, the, the broadcasting of the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Well... He made it into the Hall of Fame, and that's. Uh, and, the, and the question is, will I go to Cooperstown this summer? He accepting, well, I'll find out from Peter and Susan what the what the plot is. Give no. me the opportunity to talk about Marvin because oh, I God. loved him so much, and it's an oh. opportunity to well, express so, that.
0: As a longtime baseball fan, as somebody who, uh, being a, a Brooklyn Dodgers fan, what can what can I
1: say? And I was a Giant fan. <laughs>
0: Uh, if you're new to our program and you like what you've been hearing, to WBAI.org. We're also available as an iTunes podcast. And don't forget to check out Leonard Lopita Lodge, where you can find links to all of our past shows. I hope you'll join us tomorrow when Tobin Smith will discuss his book, Foxocracy, Inside the Network's Playbook of Tribal Warfare. We'll see you then.